Chapter 69 The Undeniable Reality al In the name of God, the Most Compassionate, the Most Merciful. The Undeniable Reality This chapter, among other short chapters, discusses the astonishing and complex phenomenon of the Day of Judgment. Haqqa is a synonym for Haqq, meaning truth, the opposite of Batil, or false. The definite article El is added because here the term refers to a specific occurrence, an inevitable, overwhelming event, the undeniable reality that establishes a just order. This chapter's main theme is Adab, suffering or punishment. At its root, this term connotes difficulty and deprivation. Whenever people are reminded of this subject, they tend to think of hell's punishments. Although the Quran does contain such description, we should realize all punishments originate within ourselves as manifestations of our deeds and their consequences. In other words, the adab of the hereafter conforms to the same pattern as worldly punishment governed by law and order, but on a much greater scale. Justice demands that heedless people be warned of their fate and reminded that would be foolish to ignore the consequences of their deeds. What is the undeniable reality? This question sets the tone and draws one's attention to the immensity of the event. What has made you conscious of it? What will make you understand the undeniable reality? Both the Prophet and humanity are addressed here. Regarding the Day of Judgment, the Quran often proclaims that this subject is beyond human comprehension. As an analogy, imagine how discoveries in science and electronics would be to those who lived centuries ago, or how a fetus can imagine what mountains and oceans look like. Humans do not know when the Day of Judgment will come and what their fate will be. The Quran describes the ensuing punishment in hell to help people grasp the immensity of what awaits them and to alert them that their final destiny is far more important than they might imagine. The Thamud and Aad tribes denied the calamity to come. Qari'ah is defined as the act of striking or pounding, and here it refers to a phenomenon like a cataclysmic pounding and striking, one that causes an explosion that will shatter earth. Those who deny the calamity will suffer grievous punishment in the hereafter. The Thamud were destroyed by the overpowering blast. The Thamud tribe violated laws, overstepped God's limits, and committed oppression, Turyan, analogous to rising water in a raging river that overflows its banks and floods the surrounding area. Dictators are called Tarut, 
from the same root, because they are haughty, rebellious, enroach upon others' rights, and hold the truth in contempt. And the Ad were destroyed by a fierce roaring wind. The Ad tribe were destroyed by a sarasar, which has been interpreted as either a frigid wind or a powerful, wailing wind similar to a robust tornado or a raging storm that severely damages houses and topples trees. Nature's violent forces destroyed these two tribes because they were rebellious, demonstrating the correlative relationship between nature and human deeds. That he unleashed upon them for seven nights and eight days consecutively, so that you would see the people laid low like hollow palm trunks. It is related that the Ad lived in a mountainous region and were blessed with abundance. They were strong and arrogant, and yet, despite that, collapsed like rotten tree trunks when faced with the consequences of their deeds. In other words, they lacked substance and were useless, and thus, unlike deep-rooted trees, could not withstand violent storms. Similarly, humans and societies can collapse once they become uncultured, lose connection with their roots, and stop thinking. So, do you see any of them remaining? This chapter, among others, discusses these two tribes. The people of Ad carved their homes in the mountains and put such a high premium on building fortified structures that one might wonder if they thought they would live forever. People were captivated by the magnificent stone palaces and hanging gardens of Iram, their capital city. But wealth and power made them heedless and ultimately caused their demise. Pharaoh, those before him, and the ruined cities committed sins. Pharaoh, his dictatorial predecessors, as well as the people of Lut, the ruined cities Sodom and Gomorrah, were destroyed because of their sins. So far, three distinct reasons have been mentioned for their fate. The Thamud tribe were destroyed by the overpowering blast because of its tyranny. The Ad tribe were destroyed by a fierce storm due to its insolence. And Pharaoh and his people were destroyed on account of their sins. They each disobeyed the messenger of their lord, so he seized them with a tightening grip. Those groups mentioned so far rejected their messengers and suffered the consequences of their transgressions. The next verse discusses Noah's people. Indeed, when the water overflowed, we carried you upon the ship. It is reasonable to ask why God addresses us by saying, We carried you upon the ship, and thus saved you from the flood. He does so because we are the offspring of those delivered along with Noah, and these verses address humanity in general. 
so that we might make it a reminder for you, and so that attentive ears might pay attention to it. This reminder is for those who listen and take heed. Up until this point, the chapter has discussed al-haqqa, the undeniable reality, and how it affects humans' fate in both this and the next life by focusing on what happened to those earlier people who witnessed and then denied this truth. Humans have a natural tendency to believe in what they can perceive, therefore tend to disregard the events of the Day of Judgment, because they have not seen any of its signs. This indicates that they lack the knowledge of certainty that it will occur one day. The chapter continues to use allegorical language, but with a focus on future events. When the trumpet is blown with a single blast, ancient societies lacked mass media and thus sometimes used a trumpet to summon people and inform them of the news, similar to how soldiers are summoned by horns. This image of blowing the trumpet is a metaphor for the Day of Judgment's arrival which God announces and summons into being through His direct command to the world, without the mediation of any prophet or angel. And earth and its mountains are lifted and then crushed with a single blow. Many passages relate what will happen when this dreadful and formidable event occurs. Among them, the mountains will become like fluffed wool, chapter 101, verse 5, and when the mountains are set in motion, chapter 81, verse 3. Then, on that day, the event will occur. Divine wisdom has ascribed around 50 names to that day, each one of which describes a different aspect. Here, it is called al-waqi'ah, the inevitable event, due to its certainty. And the sky will split asunder, for on that day it will be frail. Another term in this regard is inshiqaq, bursting open, which alludes to the fact that at that time the sky's normally unified and orderly fabric Will come apart. The Quran proclaims that a day will come when gravity itself will fail, thereby ending the world's current cohesive structure. On that day, the sky that comprises seven layers will become unstable and burst open. It is not clear whether these events entail the collapse of the universe or just the Milky Way. The angels will be on its sides. On that day, eight of them will carry the throne of your Lord above them. Here, throne, or arsh, symbolizes God's planning and management of the world's affairs. The Quran employs it as a metaphor for his dominion because in ancient times, the reigning monarchs would sit on a throne, which signified their authority. Various hadiths portray the throne being carried by four angels. However, 
This verse asserts that on that day, eight angels will be bearing God's throne, thereby implying a momentous shift in the world's governance. Humans are not privy to the knowledge of what it means for four or eight forces to carry the world. However, we may surmise that what modern physics refers to as the forces governing the material world, electromagnetism, gravity, and weak and strong nuclear energies are what the Quran calls angels. However, we may come to understand what these eight governing forces are after the paradigm shift occurs and the world's dimensions change. These verses allude to those forthcoming fundamental changes. On that day, you will be exposed. Nothing you have kept hidden will remain hidden. Deeds and their underlying intentions will be made so transparent that no one will be able to deny them. The advent of modern technology has made advanced societies more transparent overall. Our computers, laptops, mobile phones, and other personal devices extract, collect, and analyze personal information indefinitely. Naturally, God's order is infinitely more advanced, and thus the Quran states, the day on which the deepest secrets will be laid bare and put on trial. Then, as for the one who will be given his book in his right hand, he will say, Go ahead, read what's in my book. This verse does not depict a literal act, but rather a metaphor. Book is one's deeds, words, and thoughts, while right hand indicates an individual of exemplary moral standing. Thus, left hand and right hand are figurative expressions. Go ahead, read what's in my book, indicates this person's exuberance, similar to that of accomplished students who excitedly show their report card to others. Indeed, I was certain that I would have to face my reckoning. Here, the person asserts, I certainly knew that I would be confronted with the consequences of my actions. Or, I was certain that there is reckoning for the things we do in the world. He will have a pleasing life. Aish, way of living, appears here as an indefinite noun, indicating that the nature of the immensely gratifying life in the hereafter cannot be grasped by human imagination while living on earth. In a lofty garden The lofty garden clearly alludes to paradise, which the Quran frequently calls the garden. But what this symbol actually conveys is beyond our understanding, because human language only contains words related to our earthly life. The Quran explains the hereafter, heaven, hell, and what ensues therein, in such a way that everyone, depending upon their level of comprehension, can understand and relate to such things. Thus, it employs familiar imagery, such as that of a garden. Its fruit within easy reach. 
Quran here uses metaphor, making something largely unknown to us more familiar by associating it with something that we already know as a ripe fruit hanging within our reach. It will be said to them, Eat and drink in satisfaction, as a reward for that which you did before in bygone days. Does this verse mean that people will be eating and enjoying themselves there, just as they did here? Or does this figurative promise indicate something more profound? But as for the one who is given his book in his left hand, he will say, Oh, how I wish I had never been given my book. Left hand is a metaphor that refers to individuals who engaged in sinful deeds, akin to failed students who wish they had never received their report cards and did not know anything about my reckoning. How I wish that death would have been the end. This means I wish my account had been closed with my death, and there were no afterlife. My wealth has been of no use to me, and all my power has vanished. For example, he may have ruled a nation, but now realizes that all of his power has been stripped away. It will be said, Take him and shackle him, then burn him in the hellfire and bind him in chains seventy cubits in length. A cubit is an ancient measure of length based on the distance between the elbow and the tip of the longest finger. But why seventy cubits? Seventy is used to denote such a large quantity that we can neither grasp nor describe it with a suitable word. This is one of the truths that we cannot comprehend. In short, this particular number alludes to the immense suffering that such people will experience on that day. For he neither believed in God the Magnificent. He neither established a relationship with God or the indigent, nor encouraged feeding the poor, nor did he encourage others to do so. Therefore, today he has no real friend here. How could a person who has severed his relationship with God and the indigent, being devoid of even a modicum of spirituality, expect to have a savior on that day? Nor any food, except the discharge of wounds. Some exegetes opine that Ghislin refers to the discharge from the wounds belonging to the denizens of hell. However, in my opinion, it is a metaphor, the real meaning of which is unknown and hidden to us, which no one eats except the sinners. So far, the chapter has discussed the two fates awaiting all humans. It is important to note that most of the verses discussing heaven, hell, hope, fear, warning, or encouragement were revealed before the Muslims migrated to Medina. The reason for this should be clear.
a community experiencing a fundamental transformation has to be warned of lurking dangers right at the outset in order to raise awareness so that it protects itself from them. In other words, attaining greater maturity motivates a society to pursue higher spiritual stations. As this world is established on truth, committing injustice and unvirtuous deeds results in anxiety and the suffering caused by being deprived of God's blessings. On the contrary, living a life based on truth and justice is congruent with God's law and results in health and bliss. Humans generally comprehend this reasoning and have witnessed these principles in action. So why do they assume that their lifestyle has no consequences? If people tend to respect law and order, when they know their actions are scrutinized and that they will be held accountable, why should God's system be any different? So I swear, by all that you see, and what you do not see, is the world limited to that which is or can be perceived, or are such things just a small fraction of its totality? Human's vision has a very narrow bandwidth, so that exceedingly small or immensely large objects cannot be perceived. Moreover, we can only see objects that reflect light. If our sight and ability to discern are limited in this world, then what can we say about the unseen world? Indeed, it is the speech of a noble messenger. Some exegetes opine that here, messenger refers to Prophet Muhammad. Others believe it refers to the Archangel Gabriel. Either interpretation implies that these divine truths were revealed to one of God's messengers, as opposed to being a figment of his imagination. Not the speech of a poet. How little you believe. This may be understood either as very few people believe that God revealed the Quran, or that they grasp very little of its profound truths. Nor is it the speech of a soothsayer, how little you reflect. Only few people are awakened from the sleep of ignorance by reading the Quran. It is a revelation sent down by the Lord of the worlds. Although God is the Lord of all creatures, the Quran habitually uses Lord, Rabb, to designate the relationship between God and humans. In common parlance, tenzil means bringing something down from on high. Such references actually mean that it was figuratively lowered or simplified to humanity's level of understanding. Imagine the degree to which a scientific concept must be lowered so that a child can comprehend it. If he had invented any statements and attributed them to us. The deniers claimed that Muhammad had made up these verses because he had political ambitions. Mecca's polytheists asserted that he had met the Christian hermit on his way to Damascus. 
and that this Christian had taught him the words of the Quran. We would certainly have seized him by the right hand. This should be understood metaphorically, for God is an incorporeal being, and thus has no physical hands. Since most people use their right hand to perform arduous tasks, it symbolizes power. In other words, God would have forcefully prevented Muhammad from making false statements, and then would surely have severed his life artery. Severing a person's aorta, the heart's most important and vital artery, causes instant death. This is another metaphor that relies upon human sensory experience in this world to communicate a higher truth. While not a single one of you could have defended him. These warnings reflect both the importance of prophethood and the mortal jeopardy, the day of judgment, lying in store for all humans. The Quran proclaims that asserting God's unity and turning toward him are so central to God's message that if the Prophet were to alter it in any way, even by adding or modifying a single word, God would punish him severely. The Quran mainly or solely represents his words, which God produced within his mind via some kind of inspiration. Furthermore, these and other verses attest to the fact that the Prophet never modified what God revealed to him. These warnings are to let people know, beyond any doubt, that these unprecedented words represent God's unadulterated speech as conveyed by the Prophet. Indeed, it is a reminder for the God-conscious. Reminder The opposite of Nisyan, forgetfulness, indicate that these verses were revealed as reminders for those who control their baser instincts and refrain from indecent and immoral acts. And indeed, we certainly know that there are deniers among you. The pronoun we denotes that God, the angels, and people of awareness know that many people do not follow the path of truth and actually deny it. And indeed, it, the Quran, is a source of regret for the unbelievers. Unbeliever signifies a person who does not care about the truth and therefore ignores it. Interestingly, dark clouds may also be called kafir, because they conceal sunlight as if denying it. In general, a person is kafir to the degree that he or she does not see the light of the truth. It is indeed the absolute truth. Truth of certainty, or absolute truth, represents the highest level of certainty. So glorify the name of your Lord, the Magnificent. The divine order is free from any defects and should be exalted through glorifying God's name. Humanity must glorify God 
for his perfect order and praise him for his majesty and purity. In this order, the path of truth is always open, and those who seek it have the potential to attain human perfection, whereas those who seek to block others from arriving at such a lofty station will eventually pay for their injustice. This phrase is repeated 17 times each day in the ritual prayer in Ruku'a to remind the supplicant to be aware of God's magnificence not only during prayers but at all times.